We just have four verses. I'll be going into another chapter that's in John, actually, because we're talking about Abraham. And I want you to understand why Abraham's so important in the New Testament and, frankly, in the entire Bible, and why having faith like Abraham means that you're a believer and that this is disputed, and it's even disputed by world religions down to this very day. Who are Abraham's sons and daughters? Who has faith? And who has eternal life? Let me read the text here from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Look at that verse. Those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news, it means gospel here in the Greek, ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Galatians 3, 6 through 9. Now we're going to break this down, and if you, I hope you brought a Bible. If you didn't, you'll have to listen intently. We're going to do a lot of looking at Scripture. I want to tell a little story to justify what I'm going to do, which is study Scripture. I was in seminary one class at a time because I was a full-time pastor through most of the decade of the 90s. And I got into this one class, a bunch of the professors quit in the mid-90s in protests over the fact that the seeker movement came in, and the seeker movement was just tell everybody things that they want to hear to get them into church, and somewhere in the back door you'll tell them about your faith. I don't agree with that. And so neither did Dr. Schreiner and a lot of other people. They left. The one bright light that came in was Dr. Versaput, and I first took his class was on the Gospels. In the very first class, Dr. Donald Versaput said, we're going to do something unique for a seminary class. We're going to study the Bible itself. <laughs> wow, I'm excited. I didn't know who he was, but I liked him right away. And he said, we're going to start with Matthew. When we study the Gospels, you can use commentaries, however you like to study, but it may misleads you. I want to warn you, we're going to learn how to read. We're going to, in class, read Matthew and discuss it as a class. Matthew 1.1. And so we went through the Gospels. I'm going to do that with most of a chapter today when we get a little further into this. So please don't be shocked when we have a lot of Bible. And if you're a visitor, I know this may seem like a lot, but we're going to study the Bible in the early church, at the time of the apostles, they would read Scripture. It's the only access they had to it. So we're going to break down Galatians carefully so we understand what this issue is. And then at one point, we're going to go through most of John 8. What does it mean for Abraham, in a spiritual sense, to be your father? It says here in Galatians 3, 6, the first phrase, just as Abraham believed God. Abraham, the great Jewish patriarch, described in the book of Genesis, believed God. Now this here comes from 
Genesis 15, 6, he believed God. It was reckoned to him for righteousness. Now, here we have the doctrine of justification by faith. Abraham believed God. God had given promises to him that his descendants would be like the stars in the sky. And so this is a biblical example here. It says, just as it can also be translated, consider, the NIV says, consider Abraham, he believed God. Now, know this, God appeared tangibly in a theophany several, many times, actually, to Abraham. He was living in Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham was not just one of these nomads thinking, you know, I'd like to have my own world religion. No, he was going about his business. God appeared to him and told him these promises, and you read about it in Genesis. Abraham is mentioned 19 times in Paul's letters, and he's a model of faith, what it means to have faith and therefore eternal life. He received promises. He received messianic promises. He received the promise that nations would come forth from him. And it says Abraham believed God. Now I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit, and later we're going to get in more details about the gospel. I was at a wedding less than two years ago. I don't know exactly when the wedding happened. But I heard something that I thought was really bad for a big Baptist church to have uh, spoken. Okay? There are a lot of people who take the word faith. Abraham believed God. God gave Abraham objective promises. Abraham believed those promises. But this preacher said... What you need to know is that God already did everything he's ever going to do. God's done everything, but he's waiting for you to do your part. So in this preacher's thinking, our part is something more than what God's done. It's something that has to be self-generated from us. And whatever you call it, your part, salvation... Is just going to sit there dead and dormant because God can't save anybody unless some sinner cooperates with God. Okay? Now, let me tell you what faith is not. Faith is not appropriating. Faith is not deciding. Faith is not cooperating. Faith is not working. Faith is believing. Now, it's an accident of the English language that it doesn't sound exactly the same. If you read it in Greek, you have pistis and pistuo. Faith sounds like faith, only in verb form. Faith is believing God gives the promise, and by his grace, through the preaching of the promise, through the speaking by God's grace of the word of Christ, and it says in Romans 10, uh, people are convicted, and the light goes on, and they believe. That's what happened to me, okay? Now, when you tell people that faith is something else, it's where the mischief happens. Faith has an object. We believe something. Belief doesn't mean you're filled with credulity. The guy calls on the phone and says, you're selected to receive. What do you do when you hear that? From a computer. Don't you hate when computers call you? 
if it was a person, you could say, I don't believe you. Don't say that to me. I don't want to hear about it. But no, it's a computer. The FBI, see, they think when you're over 60, all of a sudden all the brains drop out of your head. I'm 62, by the way, and I think they're still there. The FBI warns you. No, I don't care about the FBI. Quit calling me. All right? Believing is grounded in the promises of God who cannot lie. Okay? God cannot lie. God has created the universe. It says that in the Bible. He cannot lie. And if he says something, I can believe what he says. That's faith. God cannot lie. He's not sitting around on his hands thinking, well, that Bob won't do anything, so I'm stuck. I know what he said. It's in the Scripture. As I say on this slide here, Abraham is mentioned 19 times in Paul's letters. Abraham is a model of faith. He believed what God said. So why is this fought about even to this day? Three major world religions claim to have the faith of Abraham. Only one is totally correct, and that's those who have received these promises and believed them. Let's go on. The entire verse says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited him for righteousness. Abraham believes, this is Genesis 15, 6, and it's put into his account as righteousness. This, my dear friends and beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, this sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. This understanding. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. All religions teach some version of salvation by works. You do this. If you're a Buddhist, you have the eightfold path. If you're a Hindu, you have meditation where you hope to get into this blank spot where you get in touch with the fact that everything is God. But there's a way you have to get to that state. Any kind of religion, the cults, or what have you all teach, do this, do this, do this, send your money to the headquarters. Okay? To try to get clear, for example, in Scientology may cost you unbelievable. Over a million. If you're a Hollywood star and you join Scientology, it may cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you never really get clear. I used to have the chart because they had L. Ron Hubbard's headquarters down on Nicollet where I used to get my hair cut. And you could take one out of the little thing. It's a long, big, long thing to try. So you work, you work, you work, you work. The JWs will come by and say, where does the Bible say you can go to heaven? Well, I tell them, but most people don't know. So then just say back to them, okay, so you mean I spend the rest of my life serving the Watchtower Society, and when I get done, I don't get to go to heaven? Well, something like that. It's already filled up. So you have all these works. But here is God making a promise, thy descendants shall be like the stars of the sky that you see on a clear night. And Abraham believed it. He didn't even have a, this child of the promise yet. He believed it. God was tangible in a way that, that he revealed himself to Abraham, and he had believed what God said, and this was credited using an accounting term or a legal term. Logizomai is the basic word. 
It was put into his account as righteousness. That's Christianity. God makes the wicked and guilty righteous by what he does, forgiving what we've done. God forgives sins. What a great message that is. Rabbinic, which were the teachers in Judaism at the time of Christ, rabbinic exegesis all taught that Abraham was a model of works. They didn't teach that Abraham was a model of faith. There's an intertestamental between the two testaments writing Sirach that says this, Abraham was the great father of a multitude of nations, and no one has been found like him in glory. This is how they interpreted it. He kept the law of the Most High and entered into a covenant with him. That's what they said in Sirach, or Ecclesiasticus. It's not an actual Bible uh, chapter or book as we understand it. It said he certified the covenant in his flesh, therefore God assured him with an oath. Well, they didn't read it. Oh, if you open up Genesis 15 and actually read it, it tells you that they bring out the animals. Harry preached on this not too long ago. They used to cut the animal in two. I mean, in those days, when you entered into a covenant, you knew you were entering into a covenant. There's the bloody animal cut into two pieces. So they, they had several of them cut in two, cut in two, and t- smaller ones not. Abraham fell asleep. You can read this in Genesis 15. Fell into a deep sleep. A smoking pot, which was a theophany, goes between the pieces. Why did they cut them in two? Because when you got done walking, the two parties would walk through the pieces. They'd say, may God do to me and worse than what happened to these animals if I don't keep my word. Well, Abraham didn't go through. It's a good thing. What happens to humans who claim that they never lie? Well, they just lied. Okay. But God went through because God cannot lie. And it was a unilateral covenant. And Abraham believed God and thus... The covenant is safe. Abraham's failures were many, but he believed God, and God ultimately kept his promises. It says in Galatians 3, 7, then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. This is the key point. Now, if I was in Dr. Versaput's class, he always wanted us to find the pericope. If you ever seen that Written. I kept seeing that in theology books, and I didn't dare say it because I didn't know if you used the E on the end. I got in his class, and he said it. I said, oh, I wish somebody would have told me that. So if you ever read a book, it says peric- pericope. <laughs> it's actually pericope. It means a section that has a point, okay, with the beginning and end. This is the point. Those who have faith are Abraham's sons. There have been wars in history over who's Abraham's sons. There still is conflict over that. But here it says those who have faith are Abraham's sons here, meaning sons and daughters. Now the word understand, which is one Eric's been preaching on in uh, Mark, because Jesus talks about this, God wants you to understand the truth. Don't believe any religious claim that comes along and says, now, we have a meeting here, but whatever you do, you don't have to check your hat, but check your mind. Don't come in here thinking, but you've got to come in here and blindly believe anything that we tell you. That's false. God wants us to understand, 
to understand is a good thing. To know the truth will set you free. We'll see that in John. And so here is an emphatic command that's in the Greek. Understand those who have faith. Know. False teachers, in this case, demanded circumcision and other acts of obedience to the law of Moses to achieve the status sons of Abraham. Did you know that the Middle East is a status conscious area that has to do with honor and shame? And if somebody is deemed in their own mind to have been shamed, they have to get revenge. And that's gone on for generation after generation. Here, the status of being a son of Abraham is conferred on those who believe the promise of God. Whoever they may be, male, female, any ethnicity, any type of status you maybe previously had, no matter how bad everything's been. The great thing about biblical Christianity is not where you've been, it's where you're going and on what grounds. God has kept his promises. Paul rebukes the theology of the Judaizers. I taught one time all the way through Genesis, verse by verse, preached through it, and if you read the story of Abraham in Genesis, was he perfectly obedient always? Well, he messed up again and again, tried to pass off of his wife as his sister to a king because he was afraid the king would kill him. He didn't fight for the honor of his wife. God intervened. There's all kinds of things like that. But when the promise was given, Abraham believed it, and God worked in his life. Now, I promised you... I'll give you a little taste of what we did in Dr. Versaput's class. And I'll read it, but we're going to go through a big pericope section of Scripture that talks about Abraham's sons. Those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now, the section is John 8, and I'll point out a couple of verses, but mainly it'll be John 8, 31 through 59. And you better remember this. It'll be on the final exam. <laughs> no, you got it easy. I had to do that. The idea is, what's the point? See, the thing I, that's so great about the Bible, it's written in human languages for us to understand, and it's not some sort of a secret encoded message. That's the error that a lot of people make. They think the Bible's encoded, and we have to uncode it or whatever, to find its meaning. It means what it says. Isn't that a novel idea that God would give us a book that means what it says? God cannot lie. John 8, and before we start verse 31, let's look at verse 24 to see what Jesus is claiming. And then we're going to have a whole long dispute about who's Abraham's son. And this gets very interesting. And it's one section, one long debate, who's Abraham's son? Who is pleasing to God, and what are the promises of God? That's what we're looking at here. John 8. Now, if you look at 24 in your Bible, if you don't have one, that's okay. I'll read it. There's a dispute between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Therefore, Jesus said in verse 24, I told you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, the he is not in the Greek. Ego, a me, I am. 
What is that? It's a claim of deity. Who appeared to Moses at the burning bush? I am. Jesus is claiming, as is laid out in the prologue of John, to be fully human and fully God. I am. If you don't believe that, you'll die in your sins. Now wait until you see what happens. Let me find 24 again. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Then if you look down just a little bit further, he was, it says in verse 27, they did not know he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, verse 28, when you lift up the Son of Man, which means Messiah from Daniel, then you will know that I am. So there's two of those. They go of me. I am. I am. And that I do nothing of my own, but just as the Father taught me, I say these things. Now, some of these people believe. Now, let's go to verse 33. We are descendants of Abraham. See that? You got your Bible open? John 8, 33. We are descendants of Abraham. That's what they claim. They answered him. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus says <laughs> to those who believed, some believed, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. First thing they say is, are you implying we're not free? Do you know that the first thing you need to know about the good news of the gospel is the bad news? So you know what the good news signifies? And so he's telling them they can be free, that he's going to be lifted up on the cross, he's going to be glorified, they believe. And then, they, then he says, well, if you're going to be believers, you're going to be my disciples, and I'm going to tell you the truth, the truth will set you free. I'm going to set you free. We don't need to be set free. We got Abraham. That's what they're saying. Can you imagine the Son of God who created the entire universe, the Lord of all, the one who's done all these miracles? walked on water in John 6, tells them they can be free, and he said, now we got Abraham. What kind of believer says, I've got Abraham, why do I need Jesus? It's not right. So we get a little discussion. This is where it gets interesting. How do you say we will be free? Jesus responded, verse 34, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Well, it's worse than you think. Not only... Will Abraham not save you? You're sinners and slaves. You're not free. Well, actually, they weren't even free politically. They just thought they were because the Romans ruled over them. I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not remain in the household forever, but the son remains forever. This will come up later in Galatians, by the way. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you will really be free. So Jesus is offering true freedom, freedom from the slavery of sin, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from eternity and hell, to be quite literal and frank, freedom from all of the things that merely being a descendant of Abraham could never free anybody from. You won't be free because you can trace your lineage to Abraham. They advertise something on TV, Ancestry.com. Well, that's fine, but it won't do you any good in regard to salvation. Go on back and guess what you'll find all the way back to as far as they can go. Sinners. Therefore, if the sun sets you free, 
you'll really be free. So they're slaves. They're not going to remain in the house. The son must set them free. He says in verse 37, acknowledging that the Jews really are descendants of Abraham, he said in verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. It's one thing to hear the word with your ears. You can be in church your whole life hearing, 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 and have hard hearts. Okay? When that word penetrates into that hardened heart and the light of the gospel comes into your mind and soul, that's when you're set free. You know, I, I, I should have made a slide of this. A thought came through my mind, but I got too much stuff anyhow. Wesley. I mean, a lot of people like to be partisan or whatever. All oh, the Calvinists, the Arminians, and Wesley and Whitfield, we're going to just debate about that. One of the greatest descriptions of conversion I've ever seen was in a Wesley hymn. He's in a jail, shackled. In the hymn, the light shines in there, and it's like a big bolt of lightning, and the shackles fall off. The light comes on. The gate goes open, and I'm free. And we uh, sang that one time, and we were having communion, and a fellow came up to get communion. He says, what was Wesley thinking about? Well, he had it right. This is it. That's conversion. When you're sitting in darkness, blind and lost, bound for hell and not even believing there is a hell other than you tell your enemies to go there. I once said that hell is the most talked about place ever deemed not to exist. Well, it does, but Wesley had it right. The light sets us free. The sun sets us free, and he uses means. The means is the gospel. 37, Abraham's descendants, you seek to kill me. Right, that's a good one. So I'm a descendant of Abraham. Abraham received a promise from God that in thy seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Here's the seed standing in front of me. I want to kill him. Is something wrong? There's something wrong, and it's from Satan, honestly. What I remember when my fiancé became a born-again Christian, I was the angriest man in Sheldon, Iowa. And I was cursing and blaspheming and threatening, working midnight shift and telling my coworkers that I can't deal with this. I'm not going to marry a religious nut. Well, what made her a nut? She believed the gospel. The next day I was saved. I went back to work and my co-workers were looking at me. They thought something was weird. They didn't ask me anything. So we worked all night and in the morning they said, well, what happened? And I said just how I saw it on the scene of history. I accepted Christ. Uh-oh. Those poor guys, they didn't know what to do about that. Um... But thank God. So here it is. They're angry because the promise of God is standing right in front of them. The promise to Abraham, the Messiah, the seed of Abraham, standing right in front of them, and they're mad about it. And they say they're Abraham's son. Yeah, you may be physically, but if you want to be spiritually, you better believe in the son who claimed to be I am. Verse 38, I speak things which I have seen. But my father, therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Uh-oh, now we've got an issue. Who's Abraham's son or descendant? 
And they answered, and I said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man, verse 40 I'm in, who has told you the truth. God cannot lie. God speaks the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Now it was heating up. Now we're getting a, a real Donnybrook, as they say. This is a very serious dispute. Verse 41, you are doing the deeds of your father. Now look where this goes. They say to him, we were not born of fornication. What are they implying? Jesus was. Why? Because of the virgin birth that they don't believe. He's illegitimate. He was born of fornication. That's what they're saying to Jesus. We weren't born of fornication. This is so strong that liberal scholars have accused John of being anti-Semitic, which it is not in any regard. Absolutely not. This is Jewish dispute about whose father is whom, whether it was the false prophets, the true prophets, who are the people that honor God. That's an internal dispute. It's not anti-Semitic. So they accused him of being born of fornication, We have one Father, God. So they claim they're the ones born of God, and Jesus is a product of an illegitimate arrangement. That's what they're saying. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. Is he right? If God were your Father, you would love Jesus Christ. Amen. For I proceed forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. Plugged ears. You are of your father, the devil. Wow. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, only says positive things. (laughs) You are of your father, the devil. That's pretty harsh. But is it true? Absolutely it's true. Because who was it that said in Isaiah 14, I will arise, I will, I will, I will, self-will and desire for power. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he's a liar and a father of Lies and literally it says the lie, father of the lie. What is the lie, my dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ? What is the lie? Satan said in the Garden of Eden, You shall be like God, you will ascend. You don't need to listen to God, you can do what you want and be better off for it. It's the lie. And so Satan speaks the lie, God speaks the truth. What's the truth? The gospel was the lie. You shall be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 45, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? I speak the truth. Why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you cannot hear them because you are not of God or do not hear them. Jesus answered and said to him, 
do we not rightly say you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Oh, now Jesus has a demon. What did Jesus do vis-a-vis demons? Cast them out, triumphed over them. He showed his power over nature, Satan, everything. He's the creator of the universe. He existed from all eternity as God and with God, as it says in John 1.1. 1, 1. He's the creator, John 1.3. Now they say he has a demon. So this is, what a nice little uh, dialogue. See, when I was in seminary, we were supposed to learn how to have conversations about religious things and listen. That's fine. This is a little more intense than that, isn't it? You're illegitimate. You have a demon. You have your father, the devil. Who speaks the truth? Remember what he said before we got started? Unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. And when I am lifted up, which means on the cross to be crucified, you will know that I am. His resurrection proves his claims because he did not stay in the grave. He says here, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I, I do not seek my glory. There's one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Dear friends, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you put your trust in him? Will you honor God by serving the creator of the universe? We need to decide which camp we're going to be in. I believe in decisions, but if you believe, it's because of God's grace. We need to think these things over. Who's right? Who's right in this debate? Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, you will never see death. Verse 52, the Jews said to him, now, John uses this, this is why some people say it's anti-Semitic, but I don't believe that's the case at all. I know it's not. The Jews here is John's way of saying the Jewish leadership that opposed Jesus, okay, his enemies. Now we know that you have a demon, okay? Now they're really convinced he has a demon. Abraham died, and the prophet also, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. The point is, greater to lesser. If the greater Abraham died, well, then certainly everybody else will. Verse 53, surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Who does Jesus claim to be? That's a good question. He claims to be the Lord of glory, the creator, the savior, the resurrected one who bodily ascended into heaven, the one who's coming again to judge, as they used to say in church, the quick and the dead. Jesus answered, verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, and you have not come to know me, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Four more verses here in this section. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. How could Abraham rejoice to see the day of Jesus when he wasn't born until over a thousand years later because of the pre-existence of the Son. I believe that 
these theophanies, some of the theophanies in the Old Testament were actually a visitation of the pre-incarnate son who appeared to people like Abraham and Moses. He saw it. He was glad. So the Jews said to him, verse 57, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Verse 58, here's the inclusio means bookends. I am a go a me. We saw it twice earlier. Here's the other end of the bookend. A go a me. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus wasn't claiming to be a wise teacher or a guru or an avatar or somebody to tell you the right works to get closer to God. He claimed to be the creator, the eternal existent one. Any God who isn't existent from all eternity and non-contingent, in other words, not depending on anything outside of himself, is no God at all. Jesus is fully human and fully God. And here he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, and he went out. Can you imagine? These all started out as believers, and by the end of the discussion, they wanted to stone him. So it goes. I'm more convinced of the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ today than I was in, on July 18, 1971, the day I was converted. You don't have to know a date. You don't have to remember, well, I did this or I did that. It was God who broke in. There's no way I was so angry, so hardened, so wicked, so hell-bound. The only way I ever would have been saved was through the gospel and the grace of God. I knew in a moment that the gospel was true. And I was all primed. Everything was going to work out great. I'll break off the engagement, go my way, get a degree, make a lot of money, join a fancy country club, and be done with religion, God, and my girlfriend. But God had other ideas. I thank God that he did. Now, in verse 8, we'll get back to... See, that's how you study Galatians. You spend all that time in John. But I did stay on topic. Who is the son of Abraham? Who are the sons and daughters of Abraham? That was just one prick of me, that whole big section. They're fighting about who's Abraham's legitimate son. And Jesus is the son of promise. He's the Lord of glory. These people just like their religious power. The scripture, look at verse 8. Now we have another one of the soul of the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Now this is found two places in the Old Testament, at least. This Genesis 12, 3, and Genesis 18, 18. And here we see Scripture alone, a very high view of Scripture. Now Scripture is inanimate. It was inspired by God. It's written words inspired by God that tell us the truth and transmit the author's meaning, in this case, the inspired biblical writers or God himself, to us 
the readers. So how can the scripture do these two things? One, for see. Two, preach. Well, uh, let me quote uh, a teacher that was actually at seminary when I was there in the early part of those years, Dr. Thomas Schreiner. He says this, the order in which Paul cites the Old Testament here is also instructive. We would expect him to quote Genesis 12:3 first, and Genesis, and then Genesis 15:6. Instead, the citations are reversed, and he tells other cases where this happened. Uh, Genesis 12:3 promises that all nations will be blessed in Abraham, and Paul identifies this promissory word as the gospel proclaimed to Abraham in advance. But it is precisely here that Genesis 15:6 plays this axiomatic. It means truth that you just know stays true no matter what. Uh, for in giving the promise to Abraham, Scripture foresaw that God would declare the Gentiles right in his sight. So here's the Jewish leaders, the ones who had the Scriptures and the promises and wanted to be in charge of everything in Israel, debating with Jesus, calling him a liar, a son of fornication, and, and blaspheming him. And here's these unworthy Gentiles that never lifted a finger to serve God. There's a parable about this. And they believe Abraham didn't start out as a Jew because he was just like one of the tribes there in Ur of the Chaldees. He believes God, dear ones. Do you believe the promises of God today? If you hadn't heard them before, will you believe today and be a true son or daughter of Abraham? So in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed, showing that the messianic promise of salvation would go out to all of the nations that some would believe from throughout the world, throughout history. We're here. Why? Because God in his grace granted us to see things that we might be sons and daughters of Abraham. Not by works. Not by human merit. Not because we deserve anything. But because God is a merciful and gracious God. Why am I not in hell right now? God is a gracious and merciful God. And if we fall into sin, God will pull us right out of there. One more verse in this section, Galatians 3, 9. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. This is a logical conclusion. Logical implications and applications of Scripture are binding because they're as true as Scripture itself. Here's our applications, and I won't be long over these because I purposely planned that John 8 would be the bulk of the sermon because I love how dramatic it is. God's work of salvation is through his initiative by faith alone. We must trust Christ alone through the gospel as the means of God's blessing of salvation. Scripture alone is God's speaking authoritative. So here we have three of the five solas, they're called alones, and the other two are grace and to the glory of God alone, and they're right alongside those three that we saw right here in these four verses. 
Paul proves faith alone through Scripture, and he does so in Romans 4. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it is credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. You know, many years ago I used to do, I'm going to do that last verse too, don't worry. But many years ago, I used to do a lot of counseling. And it took me 10 years to figure out that was a bad idea. Like I knew something. I remember being 25 years old and a 40-year-old would come in and say, I want you to help me with my marriage. Uh, That's my wife and she'll probably say, you don't want his help. I've been married 41 years. July 1st was the 41st. However, that works. We married in 72. Anyhow, it's just human wisdom does us no good. It's, it's not what we work. It's not what we do. It's not that we got something figured out. God justifies the ungodly, and he changes us from the inside out. And the process is not a process of works. It's a process of grace, and it happens somewhat imperceptibly. In fact, sometimes, do you ever notice yourself going backwards? Uh, Just me, all right? (laughs) I heard a good illustration of this, because people say, well, if if it's God's work and God does it, how come I end up in a worse state sometimes than I was before? best illustration I heard of this is, and you've probably been driven through the mountains before. As you drive through the mountains, you might be on a road. If you have a little magnetic, well, now people have GPS, you know. It's an old illustration. But if you have GPS, it might be saying you're, going, you're on west such-and-so highway, and your GPS says you're going due east. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, you're literally going the opposite direction of what the highway says you're going but you're going around to, to avoid an obstacle that would make it impossible to get there, and eventually the, you do end up west. That's like the Christian life, okay? We go by grace through faith, and God uses the means of grace to change us. And I'm not wanting to make anybody ever feel bad because they have a different story. I've messed up as much as anybody in this room. And I'm, I've almost died three times. Okay, so I'm, it's a miracle I've been married 41 years. And it's also a wonderful wife. That's part of the miracle. God will get us where he said he will get us, but by faith. There's not some secret. There's not some guru that you can go to. And a guru says, well, if you do this, this, and this, and this, everything will work out and everything will be happy. This life isn't so happy. But we believe. We believe the truth. And I, whatever has ever happened in all these years, I've never believed that God ever lied to me. The gospel's true. The Bible's true. Christ is the Lord. He did create the world out of nothing. There is forgiveness of sins. There is hope. And our hope is eternal, not just temporal. And the one who works... It doesn't do any good. I don't care how many steps there is to this, that, and the other thing. It's one of the reasons we're here right now. Some people thought Christianity is five steps to this or that. No, it's believing. What are we reading here? It's believing. It's not working. It's believing. 
Trust God. Believe the truth. Believe the gospel. The one who works, his wages credited him. I don't want what I deserve. I remember in those years of counseling, people will come in and say, I want what I've got coming from God. All right, now a decision. Do I counsel him or run out of the room? (laughs) How literal is God going to take this? There may be a pile of smoke and ashes right here. What do you want? Grace and mercy. God is a loving and forgiving God, but he doesn't acquit the guilty. He forgives us if we trust him. The one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Do you believe the promise of God? There's only one way to the forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life. In Acts 4, Peter preached, and there is salvation in no one else. He was preaching Christ. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus. I've already told you all about him. He was raised from the dead. He was lifted up on a cross, crucified, buried, raised on the third day, bodily ascended into heaven with a promise that he'll come again for those who believe in him to bring them to himself and to bring judgment to those who've been his enemies, those who do not believe in him. To be Abraham's children who believe, we need to believe the gospel. And let me give you the, the summation of that in 1 Peter three eighteen, first part of the verse. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so they might bring us to God. There's the substitutionary atonement. Today, if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I call upon you to repent, which means to turn from having that attitude that those Pharisees had, those enemies. I had it. The Lord took it in one moment. In an instant, as I was hearing the gospel, July 18th, 1971, I knew that this was all true. I knew there was a heaven. I knew there was a hell. I knew that Jesus, everything he said was true. And I knew that I could walk away and pretend it wasn't true and live my life however I saw fit and that I would end up in hell. How can I know that so fast? Well, it's like Wesley's hymn. Chains fell off, the dungeon opened up, the, the light, the flame of light filled the dungeon of my dark, sin-cursed soul, and I knew it was true. And I could either stay in a dungeon, that's what those guys chose in John 8. We've never been in bondage, we're fine the way we are. Close the door and we'll wait for Abraham. We can walk out of the prison a free person believing the truth of the gospel. That's repentance and believing is what I've described this entire sermon. May today be the day that you come to faith in Jesus Christ. He brings us to God. One more verse, and we'll have the benediction. Now, this is the section where it says, the scripture foresaw God would justify the Gentiles and preach the gospel ahead of time to Abraham. So that's a very high view. The scripture isn't just some other book. It's written in human languages, and it's interpreted as you interpret whatever you read. 
but it's from God and it's inerrant. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. Remember, God cannot lie. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We believe in Scripture alone. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe in the authority of Scripture. And therefore, we don't have anything else to preach. So if you're waiting for the seminar on how to be happy with an unruly child, aren't they all? Well, not always. But it tells us what we need, and we can't fix every problem, but we know the truth that we can be free and saved and headed to heaven. Do you believe that? I certainly do. And God will give us wisdom. I'm not saying the Bible lacks wisdom. It says here we can be equipped for every good work. What else there is we can learn through general revelation. I would like to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being so gracious to us that we can hear things that angels desire to look into, things that prophets prophesied of but yet long to see the fulfillment. But upon us have come the end of the ages. We do believe and, Lord, therefore realize that we're blessed in Abraham. If there are any here who have not met you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And as we go forth, I pray that you'd give us grace to glorify you in all things so that when we say to the glory of God alone, it's not just empty words. Give us grace for that to be true. In Jesus' name, amen.